Welcome to Chapters, the podcast where we hear the stories of readers' lives through the books that have meant the most to them. I'm Mary Mahoney, and today I'm talking with Danielle Dumaine. Danielle, or Danny, is a friend of mine and a fellow historian. On a recent research trip to Duke University, I interviewed Danny in the Perkins Library. You may hear students walking by as Danny and I sat in a window seat outside the Rare Books Library and talked about the books that have shaped her life. This is her story. Okay, Danny, thank you so much for being on the show today. We're kind of like out on location. That we are. So do you want to say where we are? Sure. We are at the Sally Bingham Center at Duke University, which is really the Rubenstein Library. Correct. Um, we are in a very gothic-looking alcove, mm-hmm. and we have finished our work for the day. We have. So yeah. you've graciously said you would be on the show. Um, so this will be interesting because you and I are, we know each other in life, <laughs> obviously. And, but I always find that I end up learning all kinds of new things about people when they speak oh, about dear. their lives as readers. No, it's exciting. <laughs> so usually I start by asking, what is your earliest memory of reading? Yeah, okay. I think my earliest memory of reading isn't a specific book, but it's that I would always read in bed at night, um, and I would have a flashlight, and I would hide under the covers, and it must have been pretty young because they were picture books. Um, My favorite was uh, Miss Rumphius, Hmm. or the Lupin Lady, you know, the, the one where she's... She's planting flowers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was young in the mountains, that was another favorite. And what's that about? Uh, it's about a young girl who's growing up in the mountains. Um, I, I think in Kentucky. I'm not really sure. But she just kind of talks about all of the things they would do when she was growing up in the mountains. Um, like going to swim in the creek and like taking baths in a wash tub. But there's a pivotal scene where the... I think it's the grandma kills a snake in the yard with a hoe. And, <laughs> and I was very into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I would, I would do that. And because, as you know, same as you are, I am an insomniac. And my dad would always, like, have to peek in the door several times a night and yell at me. Um, mostly because he was afraid that I was going to lose my eyesight. Yeah. Is that fear real? I mean, I have great eyesight, so... So probably not. Yeah, not probably not. I mean, let me just go back for a second. So I know the answer to this, but where were you born and raised? And what kind of readers or what kind of family of readers were you born into? Like, do your parents read? Did they read to you? That kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So well, I, was, I was born in Danbury, Connecticut. Uh, but I grew up in Canterbury, Connecticut, which is a very small town uh, in the woods, uh, kind of between... The closest city is Norwich, so if you've ever been to Mohegan Sun, you know the area, but there's pretty much nothing there. Um, it's a couple thousand people, and uh, my, my dad isn't a big reader. He likes popular science or popular mechanics, um, he'll pick up a book every once in a while. Uh, usually if I hand it to him, my greatest success was getting him to read Just Kids a few years ago, uh, which he enjoyed, which he enjoyed. Yeah. He likes, he likes music stuff. Um, we used to watch the daily show together a lot, like when I was in high school and we loved when John Stewart would interview authors Mm. and sometimes we would go buy the books for the authors. And the one we liked the best was he had Studs Terkel on who's giving these, you know, so oral histories and it was one with all musicians and music industry people. And, um, that was one of our favorite books. And, uh, so I thought that he might like just kids, uh, and, and, and I think he did. I will say he did. did. (laughs) I mean, he read the whole thing, Mm. and um, that's that was not the case when I gave him uh, 
Uh, I think he gave him like a, like a couple of Cormac McCarthy novels one year for Christmas, and that, that didn't fly. But admittedly, like that's kind of a hard yeah. gateway drug to get someone who doesn't read fiction into... Yeah, I don't really know why I thought that was a good idea. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it made sense at the time. And like every history, like every history book I lent him, he never reads, but he carries around for a long time. And I'll like pick it up and I'll see that he's left the bookmark on like page 20. And it, it just never moves. Yeah. But he's a busy man, so... Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. And then my mom is a big reader. So, as Mary knows, I was named after the great romance novelist, Danielle Steele. <laughs> she is my... Perhaps your greatest achievement in your life... Mary! ...happened on the day you were born. <laughs> I reject that. I'm just saying. Like, I reject that. Also, the day I was born, I was like baby A because we came like two months early. That's right. You were a twin. Uh, yes, I am a twin. I am a twin. Yes. Uh, but yes, Danielle Steele. So she, so like that was a big thing for her. Um, I don't really remember her reading to me, but I remember her reading all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like she would take a, a lawn chair, like a beach chair. And put it in the driveway, um, and she would smoke her Virginia Slim cigarette with her glass of wine, and she would read, like, from the minute she got home from work till when she went to bed. Wow. And in the summer, like, she would do the same thing. And I just remember as a kid, like, if you needed anything from mom, you had to kind of, like, you had to approach her at her chair, <laughs> you know, and be like, can I walk to this person's house? Or, like... And she was like, yeah, whatever, fine. Yeah, basically, like... <laughs> Can I make mac and cheese for dinner? Whatever. <laughs> so as a follow-up question, and then we'll get back to the sort of like the chronology of your life, but just to fast forward for a second, your mom is very talented at naming things. <laughs> she named you after Danielle Steele. Yeah, you did. have a cat named after Delilah, the late night talk show yes, host, yes. empowerment guru. She loves Delilah. She named her cat Delilah. Beautiful. But what I'm wondering is, has your mom ever wanted to read Danielle Steele with you? Like, to share that with you? Like, Danielle, you were named after this person. (laughs) She's never brought it up. I mean, she's kind of, she's moved past Danielle Steele in her reading trajectory. Okay. Like, so when I was younger, she she would read that, but she also would read a lot of just those big trade press authors who just are so prolific. Like, like she liked, she liked, um, she liked mystery. She liked like legal procedurals. She liked Danielle Steele, but recently she's been getting into like more kind of like literature. Air quotes. Yeah. And she's very into reminding us of that fact, <laughs> which is sweet. <laughs> read a book with her on that. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Last summer, she was reading, um, she's reading East of Eden, I think. And every time I talked to her, she referenced her progress through that book and very much wanted me to read it with her, but I did not have time. Mm -hmm. Um, Fair enough. But, um, so to go back, so you. But no, she never suggested that we read it together. Although every once in a while, like I will tease her about naming me that. She's just like, Danielle still is a beautiful so she defends this like every she defends this she defends this this was the right decision yeah i think it's great (laughs) have you ever reached out to danielle Steele herself no i have not i think you should say (laughs) hey look i'm named after you well actually so one of the my mom's a teacher and uh one of the like teacher's aides who works at her school um loves the fact that her cat is named after delilah and has written delilah to tell her that he knows someone who named their cat after her. And Delilah has not ran back. And he, and it mortifies my mother that he does this because the, he, he told her that he recently sent a letter being like, I can't believe you haven't responded to my prior letters. Oh my God. Like, you should acknowledge this. Like, I think you should say something about this on the show. Like, she is a huge fan and deserves this. And my mother, like, does not want that attention. Like, she did, like, that was not her plan. And she's, she's very upset by this. So, I mean, in fairness to Delilah, she is, you know, she has a lot going on. She's, she's got a lot of a kids. Lot of phone calls. She has a lot of kids. Probably grandkids I at this, this point. I this is like an avid listener to Delilah. <laughs> You're well aware of Delilah's. Um... Yeah, well, because I don't sleep. Sometimes if I don't sleep, I put on Delilah. 
That's great. Yeah. But to circle back, um, so you come from a family of reading of sorts, different kinds. It seemed like you all distinguish yourselves based on what you read from each other. But when did you get a sense of, you know, these are books that I like, these are mine? Mm -hmm. The first books that you really connected with. When was that and what were those books? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, well, as you know, Anne of Green Gables was, of course, an important moment. And that was in the fourth grade. And I was very proud of that. Why? Uh, because the library had the first three books in a collected volume. Mm -hmm. So it looked really, really big. And the librarian did this reading test where you would have to read aloud to her like a certain number of pages and like every word you didn't know. Like if you, if you, if there were five words on the page you didn't know, she wouldn't let you read the book. So I got to read this book. Nobody else did. Oh, wow. I was, I felt, I thought very highly of myself about this accomplishment. Mm. <laughs> uh, but also I just loved Anne of Green Gables and I even... My mother saved a series of letters that I wrote to her that summer from Girl Scout camp. You went to Girl Scout camp? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're in a, we are recording in a library, <laughs> and it is very noisy, which is against type, but there it is. Okay, so you went to Girl Scout camp. Yes, I went to Girl Scout camp, Camp Laurel, I think for two or three summers, not very long. But um, that, that, I don't remember which summer that was, but I, I do remember it was... One of my favorite parts of the summer because I got to ride horses. Mm. And um, I wasn't like a big horse girl, you know, like the way that some people are, but I did enjoy this like yearly thing. Mm. I got to ride horses every day. And I normally rode Western style. Mm. And at Girl Scout camp, that meant like the Western style riders got to go like on the trail rides and they got to barrel race. And I was like totally in love with the woman who ran the Western style program. She's like this older butch woman with like tattoos and a crew cut and she's very friendly. And she was the first person I met at camp because my first year there, my mom brought me there a day early on accident. And this woman greeted us at the gate and was like, hello, can I help you? Oh my God. And so so I was stayed? kind of famous to this woman. No, no, we like drove back home and she brought yeah. me back the next day. But she remembered you. Yeah, she was like, you're the girl who came a day early. Um, but this particular summer, they decided that I had to learn how to ride English style, and I rejected that, because in English style, you had to ride around the ring, and they, like, wouldn't let you do anything fun, um, and I didn't enjoy it, so I wrote my mother a series of incredibly melodramatic letters in the style of Anne of Green Gables. As only Anne could. As, yeah, like, lots, like, like, lots of things about, like, kindred spirits, and, okay. <laughs> you know, like very dramatic <laughs> like like I probably threatened to like lie in one of the camp canoes and like have someone push me out onto the lake <laughs> with flowers in my hair because they wouldn't let me ride western style <laughs> did you read any horse books like did you get into any of those series that are no because I wasn't like I said the rest of the year I wasn't really a horse person I read the misty of Shinkazi. Shinkazi. Yeah, whatever that was. Yeah. But that was my only one. Um, so did your mom respond to these letters in a serious way, or was she just like... She didn't respond. <laughs> it was like... It was like maybe I was in, when I was in college, she found these. She kept them, and she showed them to me. <laughs> and I did not remember this at all. She's like, look at this cute thing you did once. But no, she didn't respond at the time. Um, <laughs> Really, like, the other thing I remember about that summer camp is that I wore my Gravedigger monster truck t-shirt every single day. And when my mom picked me up, the camp counselor informed her of such, and I was in big trouble. <laughs> that doesn't sound too hygienic. Just going to put that out there. Yeah, like, in retrospect, like, they should have made me change rather than just, like, ratting me to my mom on the last day. Yeah. But, but maybe they were afraid of you. Maybe they like saw read some of your letters and they were yeah. like, this girl is on the edge of something. <laughs> She's on a precipice. I don't think they read the campers' letters. I've never been to camp. Like some I sort of like QAC for uh... It could be. I don't know. I don't I've never been to camp. I don't know what happens. Um, um Yeah. So 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 those Anna books. Green Gables. Yes. You know, important female friendships in that book. Mm -hmm. Did not care very much about 
Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah. But I was all I was all in for for Diana. Yeah. When Diana accidentally gets drunk. Like, yeah. Great plot line. <laughs> Great. Time. Was, did I didn't it? really know what cordial was either, so like that didn't really resonate with me until later. Yeah. And then it catches up with you. Have you um, did you feel like female friendship is such an important part of themes of books for that age group, it seems? Like were you reading those books and thinking like this is what my life is like, like this is what my friendships are like, or I wanna have friends that are like this? See, honestly this is where it falls apart because not really because the others like type of book I was really into the, in that time was the kind of like loner wilderness kind of thing. Like I was super into Island of the Blue Dolphins, um, My Side of the Mountain, Hatchet. So those two are boys, and then Julie of the Wolves. I just signed copy of Julie of the Wolves. That was that was a big deal. So give me like a plot of one of those books. Just okay. give us a sense of what that yeah. kind of genre yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, So Island of the Blue Dolphins is a Scott O'Dell book that I have not read since childhood. So it's kind of murky. But basically it's a native girl in some island, I think in the Pacific. And like white people come and take away like everyone but her and her brother. Like she's out like harvesting like food or something and these ships come and then like something happens maybe I don't know maybe she runs away but and she's like basically left on this island by herself with her brother who maybe dies later I don't remember and then like the rest of the plot is just her like building shelter and like there are all these wild dogs on the island and so she has to kind of navigate that and then there's like a plot line about hunting like things in the ocean I don't really know but you know like that kind of thing like 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 my like I think I think it's my side of the mountain is when he like plans to run away and like live on the mountain. So he like teaches himself like all this survival stuff and he like takes out books on like edible plants and you know, like all that kind of stuff. And then he like sets out into the wilderness. And so looking back, what do you think drew you to that genre? I think that, I think that like I identified with those characters because I, like I like I, I appreciated their inner strength, but also I think that I well I had friends at that time, I felt very alone in like adolescence and growing up and I this also would have been like that kind of like early preteen moment. Yeah. So like all my friends were starting to like develop all these like that was when like everyone was super into like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and they started to get into celebrities. Like I did like did not understand any of that. Um, and like I felt like the things that I was like one of those kids who like took a little also just like I still enjoyed playing in the woods. Like I still enjoyed like making up elaborate like fantasy, fantasy worlds. Yeah. Because yeah. the other part is just that like growing up um i think now they call it free-range parenting i think but it it feels more like mild child neglect where um as long as it wasn't like sleeting outside um or pitch black my dad would be like go outside like do not talk to me unless you break a break a bone or there's a lot of blood so my brother and i spent like most like until like we until like you know the part of where you like start joining like team sports and stuff and staying after school but like but but up until that point like my brother and I basically spent almost all our time at home outside if we weren't sleeping Hmm. um so like what do you do you you entertain yourself like making up fantasy worlds and and um you know like there were kids and we lived on a dead end and there were like other kids too so so they would we would all participate in these kind of things um (laughs) So also I just connected with it because I like I spent most of my time outside. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so, because so, I never really got into like the the like the group kind of books. Like never read the Babysitters Club. Not oh, interested. Really? No. Sweet Valley High. But I did love the Boxcar Children. Basically, I just mm-hmm. liked stories about abandoned children. <laughs> I was gonna say, Danny, what is going on here? I loved the Boxcar Children. Well, I of course, you grew up very near or somewhere Very, near very close. The hometown of... Putnam, Connecticut. Yeah. Putnam's own. Richard <laughs> Warner Chandler. Yeah. 
the author, original author of Boxcar Children. <laughs> but why, so like, yeah, it's kind of weird, not weird, but interesting that you identified as somewhat not an abandoned child, but someone who was kind of left to your own devices a lot, and you didn't seek out books that had like a fantasy of a different kind of family or a different kind of connections to other people. Like you didn't want to read books that were like the Babysitter's Club. Yeah, no. You wanted books that were things you could more identify with. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of that is individual and how much of that is like the culture of kind of what I grew up in, but I mean, a lot of it was like, um, I felt alienated from, like, like I said, I did have friends. I don't want to like give the appearance that I was like, you know, alone in the woods all the time. Just like, yeah. 11 year old hermit. You know, we were out in the country, which is isolating. My dad was like always working, even when he was home. You know, he just like always is someone who like needs to be fixing something, needs to be tinkering with something, or like you know, like he would bring home, like he would bring home like like piles and piles of scrap copper from work sites, mm. and like spend all night like stripping the casing off the copper so he could sell it to the junkyard. Like he was always doing something like that, like something productive. Um, and then my mom was, like, drinking and reading, like, in her own little world. Um, goodness knows what my brother was doing. Uh, so I think, like, I identified with that. And, and then, like, also, um, like, a, like, that was all, like, not to be spoken of outside of the home, right? Like, the money problems or drinking problems. Like, none of that was something that you were, like, allowed to tell anyone about. Hmm. So I also felt like I was already living this secret life. Hmm. So then I, like... I saw those kids as, like, a possibility of what could be. Like, if only I could just... You could leave. Yeah. Huh. So did you ever... I mean, was that something you fantasized about? Like, getting out? Like, from a young age? Yeah. I mean, in the in the fifth grade, we read The, mis- the Mysterious Files of Miss Basilie Frank- oh, Frankweller. Yeah. yeah in, 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 like, English class. And um, I... I got like four or five girls in the grade together and we seriously made a plan to like run away from home and like it was detailed because I was also very detailed sure. <laughs> you know like so I, I probably if I could find it like pages and pages of like this is what we're gonna do like this is how it's gonna work and like one by one they all dropped out on me you know they're like I can't do this like you're taking this too far so they were all like you're in too deep here this is getting too real yeah like at first it was fun and they're like this isn't fun anymore oh my gosh so but it never happened we did not run away wow that's kind of amazing though i mean did your parents ever pick up on any of like your reading life or like any of these like running away from home well, I mean, they knew I read all the time. Like, I would read at the kitchen table, like, at dinner. Like, I would read through family gatherings, like... And that was allowed? That was allowed. I mean, my dad was always very supportive of my reading. Like, if there was a book that I wanted to read and say, Canterbury's one-room dinky little library didn't have it, like, he would buy it for me, which was a big deal because he's a very frugal man. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, like, they just... They felt like if I was reading, then I was doing something. Then that was productive. Productive, yeah. yeah because I was a good student. And they were like, you know, this is. Hmm. They they wanted to be supportive of of that. So your life as a reader and your life as a student kind of became like a big part of your identity, kind of to separate yourself, maybe or. Yeah, I mean, here I am now getting a PhD. Like, oh, never stops. <laughs> never stops. Um, yeah, I was like that annoying kid who like. The minute I finished my schoolwork, I would, like, start reading. Like, I always had a novel on my desk. Mm. Like, sometimes I would read during class. Mm. And for the most part, like, teachers didn't really care, you know. Did you connect? Do you remember connecting at all with other kids your age, like, through what you were reading? Or was it, like, your individual thing? Um, I mean, definitely a couple other kids my age. Like, my friend Emily, I, rem- I do remember us, like, her... Her... Her aunt would get a lot of advanced copies of, like, young adult fiction. I honestly don't remember why. But I remember, like, us reading the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants books, like, together in a tent in her backyard. And just being, like, super into those. 
Um, and when we were way younger, the first chapter books, like we were both like the like in the like little advanced readers group, and the first chapter books they gave us to read were Cat Wings, which are a series of like chapter books for like you know like second graders or something, like not intense things, but they were about kittens with wings. I'm surprised this has passed me by. It sounds fascinating. You're not a cat person, Mary, so... Well, um, yeah, I mean, I could be. They were amazing. The cats were abandoned. Oh, boy. <laughs> Returning to a theme. Um, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so, so Emily, like, we definitely read some books together. I do remember that. We all read... Also, sometimes, you know, like, a book gets passed around. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember in, like, seven, maybe, like, sixth or seventh grade, one of us got a copy of the book Go Ask Alice. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, Go Ask Alice, right, is about this girl who... It's a cautionary tale about the 60s. Like, if you smoke pot once, like, you will get a much older boyfriend. You will do acid. You will march on Washington. And then you will... Um, lose your mind, like tear your hair out, like scribble your memoir on like the back of a brown paper bag. Like that's the plot of Go Ask Alice. Um, so we like all passed that around because that was like very, like whoa, you gotta check this out. Yeah, you know, salacious. like we've never read anything like that before. So, um, so it was a big like following around yeah, that. It was like dangerous. Yeah, and then my mom found it. Like she found it, like when it was my turn to read it. And she, and, and she, like, read through it, and then she, like, sat me down and was like, I'm very sorry that you had to learn about these things this way. What was that conversation like? I think that was the conversation. I don't really remember the rest of it. I think I was just kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah. That's the only other time they tried to censor my reading was when I wanted to read um, A Clockwork Orange. And that was a no? It was a no, and then it was a yes. Like, at first... I don't really know why I did this, but like I asked for it for Christmas. How old were you? This was in high school. I'm jumping ahead. But like, I don't really know why I didn't just take it out from the library. Maybe they didn't have a copy. Hmm. But I mean, this was like pre, I don't know if we had some sort of ILL program, but like it felt like if the library didn't have it, you didn't get to read it, you know? Um, So, and a bunch of my friends wanted to read it. So I was like, I will. I will request this for Christmas. So my mom went out and bought it. And then my dad remembered seeing the movie when it came out. Um, So he put his foot down and said, you know, she can't read that. I remember that movie. That's not okay. And um, then they had to talk about it. And then they decided that it was wrong of them to censor my reading. Mm. Um, So then they, like, had a conversation with me about it where they were like, just so you know, this might be scarring. Your dad didn't want you to read this, but, you know, we had returned it to Barnes & Noble, then we went back and bought it again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and when did the sit-down happen? Like, Christmas morning, or, like, Merry Christmas? No, before before, before Christmas. Oh, before okay. Christmas, yeah. Like, I, because I remember, like, um, I made a really big fuss of it when I got to school. Like, I was like, ah, my parents, like, are still, I want to read this book and all this stuff. And, um. So, I mean, it seems like you went from, like, we've gone from a conversation about, like, kind of loner books to books that were controversial with your parents. But was there some kind of, like, middle ground that we're missing, like, phases in your life as a reader from, say, being in, like, fifth grade or so to being in high school? Yeah, I mean, those were really confusing years for me as a reader because... So I read some young adult fiction, but actually... I mean, this might be totally untrue. I have no idea. But I feel like we kind of predate the real blossoming of, like, teen fiction in a way. The marketing. Yeah, would you say that's probably accurate? Um, Maybe, although I mean, we kind of were raised in the heyday of it, it seems like. We kind of grew up. Okay, maybe I just wasn't interested in it. Now I think it's more, like, like YA as a marketing category is very... I I just remember in those years being really torn because I wasn't reading kids' books anymore, um, I had read like everything on the shelf in the library, like first people my age, and I was capable of reading like harder books, but like at a loss for what I should be reading. So then I'm like 13 years old reading John Grisham because I'm like, I don't know what else to read. Yeah. Um, or like Stephen King, you know, like whatever my mom had around, you know, that wasn't Danielle Steele. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and eventually and then and you know eventually like um just started reading like a bunch of classics like probably too young to understand like what was going on in a lot of them but just because like I didn't really know what to pick up Mm. um and then in high school like kind of I was around like more readers and people were like you know because you went to a regional high school right so it was a yeah it was a whole new group of people yeah yeah I think like 10 people from my middle school went to the high school that I chose to go to okay um, and does that inspire you as a reader when you're around other people who kind of push you or were you still kind of forging your own path as a reader? No, I think that was, um, that was like a good turning point for me was to find a lot of other people who, who were reading a lot of different things. And I was constantly taking suggestions and like making little lists, whether I was actually telling these people I was doing this or not, but mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, like I saw, you know, Tegan reading this book. I'm going to make a little note of it. I'm going to mm-hmm. look it up later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I wanted to read everything everyone else had read. Hmm. You know, I just yeah. wanted to know. Yeah. If someone knew something, I wanted to know that too. Hmm. Um, so I was always seeking, I was always kind of... So what impressed you in that period? What kind of stayed with you? I remember... That would be jumping ahead. Because like freshman, sophomore year, um, the books that kind of stand out to me are... I remember reading Night in freshman English, you know, that was a big experience for everyone. Um, I remember, really it was my, the way we did U.S. history was we took it in two semesters because we were on a block schedule. Uh, so each class was only a semester long, uh, like in college. Uh, so the way they divided up like the honors AP U.S. history was that you took the first half in the spring um, of your sophomore year and then you took the second half in the fall of your junior year hmm. and it was with the same teacher it was the same people because there's only one class and I like loved 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 this teacher um, and uh, she, she was such a hard ass she's the scariest teacher and those are always the people that I'm drawn to like my college advisor was the mean like He's not gonna hear. He was. He's like the meanest person in the world. But that's what I loved about him. He was brutally honest. He was like flat out rude to other students. And for some reason, like that, I don't. I don't know what that says about me. That I was like, yes, this man is gonna be my advisor. Um, He would hand back our papers in order of like worst to best paper. That's like really it was rough. real old school. So Miss Dedman was not that was not mean, but she was she had that reputation for being really tough. You know, like she was one of the teachers who would weed people out of her class, because um, she didn't want to have to like put up with anything. Uh, so over the summer she assigned, over the summer she assigned like twelve books that we had to read, um, and we had to keep a journal about the reading and stuff. And so I think all of those books, she was just really good at choosing books. Um, and, you know, so they were all relevant. So we read, we read Catch-22, which I remember um, really loving. Because I, I was also into Kurt Vonnegut for a while, as is many people go through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Latin teacher basically lent me his entire Kurt Vonnegut library, you know, like mm-hmm. all of his books and his books on writing and like all this stuff. And, and so that kind of absurdist, you know, bureaucratic kind of humor uh, uh, of Catch-22 kind of, uh, I, was, I was primed for it. Mm. Um, we read All the President's Men, which, um, which I loved. Uh, I can't remember what else we read. So reading things in school didn't ruin it for you? Because we've had other no, people no. say, like, I couldn't... I hated Jane Eyre because I read it in school and I hated that I was forced to read it and in that context I hated it so therefore like Jordan is now has now reread <laughs> oh no like my my senior year English teacher some of the books he assigned us are still like, some of my favorite books because he assigned really weird stuff 
Like, he assigned this book called Cold Comfort Farm. Yeah. So this is, like, AP English. We're supposed to be preparing for the AP exam. Like, the school had a set curriculum. He was brand new, and he rolled in. He was like, uh, there aren't enough women writers on, like, this other teacher's curriculum that they've handed me. Uh, I'm going to basically only teach women with the exception of, you know, we had to read Hamlet, I think. And we had to read Beowulf. Um, and over the summer, they'd assigned Watership Down and Gilgamesh. So he couldn't avoid those. But everything else, he was like, we read, we read To the Lighthouse, which is one of the... I did not like Virginia Woolf when we read To Why? the Lighthouse in that class. I just... I don't think I was ready for it. Yeah. Um, and that's... I don't think that's the... I don't think that's the Virginia Woolf you give someone off the bat. Mm -hmm. But also, he was... What would you give someone off the bat to get into Virginia Woolf? I think I think Orlando, or no, I think Mrs. Dalloway. I think Mrs. Dalloway, but I, I was, but also he was doing all this research onto the lighthouse, so he was so into it, and I think we just couldn't meet him where he was at. Where he was at, like we weren't ready for that. Um, so I remember that being a real slog. And then the next Virginia Woolf I read was to the lighthouse, probably in college, and kind of rediscovered her because part of that was like, uh, like no, thank you. Yeah. He let me do a very long project on Lord Byron too. I was like very into romantic poets for a while. That was my Anne Shirley, like dramatic, a lot of all the feelings. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. To me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but cold comfort from was amazing. And oh my gosh, we read this one. I can't remember the name of it. It was like four ladies who were all either widowed or like separated from their husband who were like renting a villa in Italy for a month together mm. and all become best friends. It's just like... So in your high school years then, if I was to say like, look at your bookshelves and try to imagine who you were as a person based on Danny the Reader high school years, we've heard what you were like kind of as a younger person, you know, loving stories where people are kind of escaping or, you know, forging their own lives on their own. Like, who were you in high school? I think that so part of it was this kind of proto-feminist where this same teacher also did an independent study with me on feminist writing. So he like gave me all of his course packets from when he was a grad student at um he had like a he had a PhD in literature from uh like Florida State. So he gave me all his reading packets from his feminist studies classes. So here I am, like, by myself, trying to decipher, like, Judith Butler. <laughs> so I thought I knew something about something, which later realized I did not. <laughs> uh, but, um, oh gosh, I, I, I just, I think I was tr still trying to figure out who I was. And I was following a lot of other people's leads. Like, I read a lot of Russian novels and hated them. Um, why did you, so why did you do that? I think just because that's what, that's what, like, the people I thought were, who were, like, smart and artistic and serious <laughs> were doing. Um, yeah. uh, but also, uh, but, I, but I've always also... I was reading other stuff too. Like I was reading a lot of Vonnegut. I was reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It was like, you know, a big thing. It's also like a huge nerd. Um, but then also I was still, I was still trying to figure out kind of, um, like I, I loved, I, I loved like a portrait of Dorian Gray. Like I remember being super into that. Um, Yeah. Well, I think most people in high school are kind of figuring it out. 
And yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, I was also just reading a lot of Latin poetry because that was like what you were into. No, because I, because that was like I, I don't know. We can scratch that part. Cool. Just remember reading a lot of Catullus. Okay. <laughs> I was all over the place. I don't really know what was going on. I, um, I think that would sum up most people's high school years. So yeah, I was all over the place. I, I don't know what was going on. Like, I think you're not alone in that. But I think if you looked at my bookshelf, it was like, it was like, all of these like great books, like classics that I kind of just like pushed my way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then like, I don't know, a hodgepodge. I mean. You realized in high school, I think, that you liked history a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go to college. So, like, let's go to the next time period. Okay. Which we'll say roughly, like, college. (laughs) How do you you think back on your life as maybe changing in that period or your reading changing or whatever comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think I read... That was probably my, my best years as a reader, um, which isn't to say that I don't read good stuff now, but most of my reading now is history books, which I love, but as far as, like, literature... Well, I mean, you can um, include history in this. Like, I'm interested in, like, all <laughs> kinds of reading, so... Uh, yeah, I, I kind of unofficially, like, double majored in English. Never declared myself. Actually, I tried to declare, like, graduation week, and they were like, it's too late to do this. What are you doing? I was like, ah, I just counted up all my classes and realized that I took enough. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't really... So were you a history major? I was a history major. Okay. I started as international relations, and then I, I switched. Oh, you know what I was really into in high school? It was travel writing. Ooh. Yeah, like, that was a big thing. So I, like, A Thousand Blue Highways... Um, set in the air to Mona Schlegel maintenance. Oh boy. Um, but all of because I think it's a ridiculous book. Why? Uh, But I just like looking back. It's such like a like man on journey doing manly things. Like father son. I don't know. It's not for you. Tortured souls. Uh, but I. I loved one of my teachers gave me as a as a gift or something um, both of Peter Hessler's books about his um, travels through China, mm. and uh, I loved those. Uh, Evelyn Waugh wrote a lot of good travel writing. Um, I'm super into that. Mm-hmm. Like um, I liked reading. Um, I think like the idea of like a novelist like moving outside of their genre and writing about travel. It always ends up being so good. Like, I loved um, Umberto Eco's travel writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the name of it. Something ridiculous, but like traveling with a fish or something. Uh, <laughs> so is that what made you want to be an international relations major at first? Did you Were you dreaming of traveling when you got to college? No, actually, um, my high school had an IR program. Mm-hmm. So I did Model UN. Um, I was deep into that. Uh, so I wanted to major in IR. I signed up for Arabic and French. I was going to work for the UN and all this stuff. And then I realized very quickly that it, it wasn't actually what I wanted. And, hmm. and it wasn't for me. And I hated everyone. And uh, <laughs> So I switched to history where I loved everyone and enjoyed it so much more. Uh, but I, yeah, I started in IR. Um, but my first semester of college, I took a class in sociology, kind of like a mid-level class that I wasn't prepared for, called Gender and Sexuality, and we read Nancy Cott's um, book on the history of marriage, mm-hmm. uh, Public Vows, and that book like changed my life. Like, wow. Uh, so maybe tell us what it's about and then yeah, how it yeah. influenced you. Uh, well... It was the first time I'd really, you know, I, I re- it was the first time I'd read that type of history, like that t- taking, you know, that, that taking an institution and like giving its history. It was the first time I realized that, for example, in this book, marriage is not something that has been a constant over time, right? That the values ascribed to marriage or the ways that people get married or 
you know, common law, like that, that, that those things changed over time and changed based on location. Like that blew my mind. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a very well-written book. It's a really great first history book because it's short, you know. I mean, um, was it something that was seductive to you because it was an idea that was something I think, you appreciated I, yeah, abstract? Yeah, I think it was, it was both that way of thinking about the world, right? And I mean, this, we also, this class was also basically, it was taught by a grad, it was taught by, um, I think an adjunct, uh, and um, so he was really young, I think he was fresh out of grad school, and he devised the syllabus not realizing that he was going to get a room full of students, like many of whom had no exposure to postmodernism. Um, or or any kind of that theory, so it actually just kind of turned into like a like a deconstructivism one on one class. <laughs> so, which was you know because he was like, wait, you guys aren't getting you know Lacan, yeah. like, and he was like, okay, like back up, like yeah. the signifier and the signified, like uh, let me draw draw something for you on the board, and um, ended up being I think really fruitful so it was the first time I'd, I'd thought about history in that way but also like the the way that the class like because um, I'd read all this feminist stuff the year before but not really had um, like any direction mm -hmm. and so this was kind of a step back uh, and 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 we read um, and so kind of that book and the way it kind of destroyed what I thought I knew about marriage mm -hmm. uh, combined with um, like we read Sexing the Body, uh, which is which um, is not a history book, but gets used, you know, um, and is historical in a lot of ways. Uh, we read that, and so that kind of that was like my my. You get to college, and all of a sudden, you're, you're like gender and sexuality. What? Like yeah. this is all Do you like the like, Kinsey scale. Like, <laughs> like, did you remember? Do you remember thinking about like how that? made you rethink yourself in some way like not necessarily like the Kinsey scale but <laughs> you, you take a class in college and you read a book and you're like oh my gosh I thought I understood x and now like I'm reimagining my life in this new way or this thing in my life I thought I understood now it's changed yeah I mean I would say some of it was just um like adding depth to my very uninformed like political stances mm -hmm. but then yeah it was it was um I just remember reading Sexing the Body and reading um, kind of the rates of intersex births and about, and, and kind of all of it, and just have, like, just being kind of upset that I never knew any of that before. Mm. And just being like, I have to know more about this, this whole thing, like this whole field. Yeah. Um, and just kind of being shocked that, that I didn't know anything about this. Hmm. Um, so what, what drew you to history then? Well, so part of it was just that, I mean, I'd, I'd always enjoyed history. History had always been my favorite class. And um, like I said, I had a pretty close relationship with my, like my US history teacher, I loved her. Um, and her class. So I was kind of predisposed to it. Uh, but I think I'm trying to remember when I, like that year, I also took, um, the history of religion in the United States. And, um, the professor who taught that, uh, she kind of, I mean, the class was good. And I remember, as you know, I cannot speak at length about, for example, the Second Great Awakening anymore. <laughs> but that class was great, and she, I remember I was a freshman, and I was really scared to be in the class, because um, there's a lot of juniors and seniors, because it must have fulfilled some sort of requirement, you know, and everyone's, like, trying to get out the door. Um, so I was really, really nervous to be in the class, and um, after our first paper, she printed out my paper and gave it to everybody and was like, this is how you should be writing your papers. Wow. And she kind of pulled me aside and was like, you can do this thing, mm -hmm. you know? And she did the same thing 
I took another class with her senior year and she did the same thing where she was like, you're applying to graduate school, right? Like, this is what you need to do. Hmm. Um, and I didn't do it that year, but, <laughs> but she was the, but you know, I, I, I didn't, not having any, not knowing anyone other than, you know, the people teaching me, not knowing anyone who'd gone, who'd gone that route, who'd done anything academic. Like my dad didn't go to college. Um, you know, uh, None of my, you know, none of my family members are in academia or anything. They're all like blue collar people. So, she, she, so I didn't really even know how you did that, you know. And um, but I, I kind of knew that I wanted to get a PhD, but I just didn't know how any of that worked. And and so when she was like, hmm. you, you, you're gonna do this. Hmm. Um, so so her class was really that was that was I think probably in the spring semester, and that was when I was like, I need to get, I need to drop this IR thing. And then, and then my sophomore year, I took a class with the professor who became my advisor, and um, he studies the 60s and 70s in Britain and the U.S. So uh, we, so I read a lot of like second wave feminist stuff for that class, um, and I did like a research project on like com- like women women livers in Britain and the U.S. and like their their contact with one another and that, that kind of like sealed the deal. Hmm. Um, yeah. Is that when you got interested in studying communes? No, no, that was later. That was, um, I mean, that wasn't until grad school. The beat stuff, you know, I took a class on beat literature, uh, my senior year with like, kind of not really knowing what to expect. Um, I'd read on the road in high school, uh, you know, and like thought it was okay. <laughs> but I, yeah, so senior year, I took this like three hour, once a week seminar with Rana Johnson and, um, and read all these beat writers and, uh, and it wasn't until I got to grad school and I started researching Diana Prima, who I had read in that class that I realized that she had lived on a commune and then, um, mm. and then like that kind of took off, but you know what it was? The com- you know when the commune thing started? I can't believe I forgot this. So in the second class I took with the religion, with the historian of religion, uh, it was like a senior seminar and we all wrote research papers. And so I wrote my paper on a commune in South Carolina. It was um, this group of... Uh, uh, it was like the late 70s and it was a group of kind of black nationalists who their leader had been inducted into Santeria in Cuba. Um, and they kind of developed their own religion, uh, based on, uh, what they believe to have been Yoruba practices. So they kind of, they kind of took Santeria and then kind of tried to, tried to drop all of the Catholic pieces from it. Um, and kind of worked their way backwards to what, the traditional West African religion might have would have looked like, mm. and um, so they moved to South Carolina and established a commune. It's still there and it's still functioning. I visited it in college on a spring break with some friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were all very nice, uh, and um, and so that was really my first exposure to what communes could be, mm. and uh, it was actually really good first exposure because then uh, like. I was able to enter into the study all, with a critical eye to all of like most of the literature on communes, which is that they were all like rich white kids. <laughs> yeah. so like, but, but no, <laughs> but it's not, yeah. but it's not. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. Um, so I'm wondering like now you're in grad school, you're getting your PhD. You just passed your comps, which requires a lot of reading of history books. I mean, do you separate out your life as a, like reading for pleasure versus reading for history, for the work that you do? Uh, not really. I mean, yes and no. Uh, you know, some books that I read for pleasure obviously have nothing to do with my history work, but other things like... While I was reading for exams, one of the one of the books I read on the side um, was Zami uh, by Audre Lorde, and um, I and it was like the most 
beautiful, amazing reading experience I could have had. And um, why? You know, she's she was she was friends with the the poet that I studied, Diana Prima, and um, they had kind of a lifelong relationship that was sometimes rocky uh, but productive. And De Prima published Audre Lorde's first book, and um, uh, and you know they kind of they're in each, they pop up in each other's memoirs and stuff. Um, but I just I th- I had read it in college, but I think it hadn't really it hadn't resonated with me yet. Like because now that I know so much more about like the history and the circumstances and about Lord's. The, like how important she still is today to so many people uh, but really just like honestly like the the like the way that she talks about sex and women's bodies and loving women was was really just like kind of blew my mind about that book um, that I didn't remember before um, and uh yeah, like like the the end scene where like she finally gets to love like uh, another black woman from the Caribbean, and they're like feeding each other fruit, and you're just like, I want everything to happen for you, Audrey. <laughs> uh, but I mean, other than that, like, I mean, we always want to turn our reading projects into academic projects like uh do i wish that i could be doing something on willa cather yes well right now i've just been reading a lot of history books but i would say that my like right now if you were to if you were to be like danny like what books have should I read, like, what books were really, you know, important in the last few years to, like, you? Um, I mean, The Argonauts, like many of us, I'm not alone in that. But um, I, so I read Willa Cather in college in, um, in, like, a class on modern, like, modern literature, modernism, whatever. Uh, But we'd read, we'd read The Professor's House, which is, like, not the, not, I'm, I'm like, why did you assign that one? So what is the Willa Cather book we should start with if we haven't read Willa Cather? So O Pioneers or um, My Antonia, Antonia, jury's out on that. Uh, I mean, My Antonia, which is what I'm going to say it is from here on out, even though I might be wrong, is probably my favorite, but O Pioneers has some of of my favorite, like, one-liners from Willa Cather, and also, so, so I like them for different reasons, but I think they're her, you know, they're her best. I, I like, I like my, like, my entire, like, having um, Jim as the narrator and seeing her through his eyes, uh, it's just like, I kind of imagine it being like Willa Cather. Like, like I feel like she's just in love with this character that she's created, mm-hmm. and um, like I just I I think one of the great things about her is like she's she's really nice to the characters that she likes. Like bad things happen to Antonia, but like she allows her to like remain this like beautiful, almost untouchable like spirit, mm-hmm. um, and. So I just and 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 so and and I think so I love her but with with O Pioneers um So in my Antonia there's like this this part where um where Jim is like going he's like moving away and they're like they're both really sad and uh and he's like I wish that there was more that I could have done like for you all, you know, cause her family, right. They've, they've, they've immigrated and they're like, they, uh, they're like living in a squalor that like totally repulses Jim's grandma's sensibilities. And, um, 
and like the the father has died and you know it's all this stuff like spoiler alert um, and and he's like he he's like i can't believe i'm like leaving you like and you know i i should be here for you and um and she's like jim like you you've tried to understand us and that's the most that anyone can do for another person mm. and um that's like one of my favorite lines like in anything and i'm not even quoting it exactly if i thought we were going to do this like i would have brought it with me had i (laughs) why do you think that quote resonates with you i think it's just this 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 it's about it's not even about friendship really it's about just this totally pared down like simplified but completely like earnest and honest like way that we love other people it's like she's like just and and speaking from her position right as this person who um is learning english like is in a whole new place like she's very much the spokesperson for her family she also uh does not fit into what anyone thinks uh, a girl or a woman should look like or what kind of work they should do or or how they should behave, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, that she's, like, um, that, she's, that, that Jim to her is just, like, this completely non-judgmental, like, open, like, he's just tried to relate to her. As, and, and it's, like, it's kind of, an, like, taking someone as they are, right? That she's, like, you, that's, that's all you have to do. Like, everything else is window dressing, you know? Um, Like, bringing us flour, like, helping plow the field. Like, all that stuff is just... But, like, really to her, what's most important is that he's just tried to understand her. And and so that always, like, really resonated with me because, you know, we talk a lot about, like, what does it mean to be a good friend? And I think that that's, you know, that's kind of the bread and butter Mm. of friendship is we can't... We don't always have time to give. We don't always have, like, stuff... like stuff to give or you know um or anything but like at the end of the day like that's we tried to understand yeah i think that's i think that's that's cather for me hmm. and then just like oh pioneers like she's just a baller you know like she's like my brothers are stupid but like i'm gonna run this farm empire and everyone tells me i shouldn't like plant like spring wheat or whatever but i'm gonna do it and <laughs> like every every time it makes like a jump through time it's just like she's just gotten more money she's like <laughs> that inspires you yeah well i mean not the anti-capitalist to me but like you know the it inspires me yeah <laughs> it's like i feel like it's this weird catherine like wish fulfillment <laughs> she's like I'll take it. Like, and also that she, like, doesn't marry, and she's like, yes, I will adopt this kooky old man who lives in the woods, and everyone's afraid of, but, like, I'm not. <laughs> like, she has, she, like, she basically is, like, my brothers can have their wives, and, like, I will support them on their farming, even though they're not very good at it, but, like, I'm gonna take in, like, all these, like, cute Swedish girls who are gonna do my cooking for me. Like, there's all these descriptions of, like, the, the beautiful, sweaty Swedish girls in the kitchen. <laughs> And she kind of just like mother hens them, and then like she's got like all her kind of like misfit toys, um, like farm workers, and like that the the old guy who's like like a cage, like I don't know if he's what's supposed to be wrong with him, but the townspeople are like we want to put him in an institution, and she's like no, like no. she she builds a queer family, and you know that's like very important to me. Um, she's like I don't need a husband, got. I, but and, and and it's like she's like I'm gonna support all these people and uh, you know also like it's my way or the highway. There you go. Yeah. I mean I feel like we could go on forever, but I'll probably wrap it with this one question, which is what is one book you've recently read that you would recommend to us? Uh, this isn't a book I've recently read because I still have like 30 pages left. It's fine. And I was gonna bring it with me, and I just couldn't justify carrying a book when there's only 30 pages left of it. Um, I made Mary get to the airport like almost three hours early. So, (laughs) so I would have had it done like in, like we still would have had two hours until takeoff. (laughs) It's perfectly fine. Uh, but it's called, um, it's called here comes the sun and it is, 
Uh, it's by a Jamaican-born woman who lives in Brooklyn, uh, Nicole Dennis Breen. You will have to fact check me on that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's the reason I haven't finished it. I started this months ago. And, you know, like with exam reading, like I kept picking up and putting it down. But also, I just I found it really hard to read, but in a in a good way, you know. Um, so it's it's it 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 covers three women in the same family, um, and kind of the main the main character it follows is uh, is um, the older sister. So it's like the mom and then the two daughters, mm-hmm. and so the main character is the older sister, and she works in the hotel industry, but is also a sex worker, um, but is also falling in love with a woman who lives down the street, uh, who kind of the the town like knows to be a lesbian and persecutes kind of um in various ways because of that um who's kind of living alone in this house after the death of their mother and she's like gone abroad for college and come back and she's so you get a lot of her her too like her struggles so it's like the the older sister then it's like the mother who um who sells like crafts to tourists at the market and then the younger sister who's in school and wants to be an artist, but both the older sister and the mom are like, no, you're, you're going you're gonna to study science and math and you're going you're gonna, to like, be the one who makes it, you know? So it's kind of this story. And, and, the, and so the younger daughter, she wants to study art, but she's also, um, she's also very dark-skinned and she's going to this woman to get her skin bleached, to get lightened, and she's not telling... Like, the, the sister and mother, like, do not approve of this. Um, but the daughter's, like, very... Having a lot of trouble at school over, like, the light-skinned girls. And so um, she's doing this. And so it's just, like, this really beautifully written book. But it's also really devastating. Because uh, it's also a lot of just, like, this is how the tourism industry has ruined the Jamaican economy. Um, like, all these people used to make a livelihood out of fishing, can't anymore. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's great. And, um, <laughs> all right, well, here comes the sun. We'll here comes the sun. Uh, sorry, I can't say anything kind of deeper than that, but, well, you know, you there it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for letting us get to know you through this thank you. interview. Yeah. It was a great time. Um, well, thank you again, and I will put all those book titles up on the website, so if you want to check out any of the books that Danny has mentioned, check out our website. And thanks again, Danny. Thank you, Mary. I'd like to thank our guest, Danny, for sharing her story with us. I'd also like to thank our technical director, Taylor, for all of her help. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, at ChaptersPod. You can find me at Mary Mahoney123 and Taylor at MJT the PhD. Visit our website www.chapterspod.com if you'd like to share your story on chapters. You can also find links to every book mentioned on this and every episode on our website. Thanks for listening.